Yes, hello. It's Anthony Froggart here from Chatham House, welcoming you to the third in this year's editions of The Climate Briefing. I'm joined in the studio by my colleague Anna, who has an exciting interview for us all to hear. Anna, over to you. Hello, Anthony. Yeah, it's great to be back in the recording studio. And as you say, we are bringing you a really exciting and a very interesting interview today. I did the interview late on Wednesday evening with His Excellency Ralph Riganvanu, who is Vanuatu's Minister of Climate Change Adaptation, Metrology and Geohazards, Energy, Environment and Disaster Risk Management. And we spoke about an important initiative that Vanuatu is spearheading within the UN that aims to request the International Court of Justice, also known as the ICJ, to render an advisory opinion or legal advice on the obligations of states in respect to climate change. For those of you that don't know, the ICJ is the principal judicial organ of the UN. Its advisory opinions are generally not legally binding, but they carry great legal weight and moral authority. In the past, the ICJ has issued advisory opinions on a range of different issues, for example, on whether Kosovo's declaration of independence was in accordance with international law, and on whether the threat or use of nuclear weapons is in any circumstance permitted under international law. So what Vanuatu and others are seeking to do is to ask the ICJ to issue an advisory opinion that clarifies what obligations states have under international law when it comes to climate change and what the legal consequences are for states that have caused significant harm. So yes, a very interesting and a very important topic indeed. I began by asking the minister to outline how the idea for the ICJ initiative came about and what it is that Vanuatu and the rest of the coalition of countries are hoping to achieve. And this is what he said. This initiative came about in a quite unusual way. We have in the Pacific a regional university, the University of the South Pacific, which is owned by 14 Pacific Island states. And the law school of the University of the South Pacific is based in Port Vila, Vanuatu. And they have a course on climate change. And there were law students who figured out that the International Court of Justice being the highest court essentially in the world in terms of uh, the weight of an advisory opinion from that court, figured out that climate change was an issue that needed to go before the court and hadn't. And so they came up with the idea that we need to get the question about the obligations of states that have signed the Paris Agreement and are not fulfilling what they said they would do under that agreement by signing it to the court for the court to determine what in fact were states' legal obligations. And the students came up with this. At the time, 2019, I was the Minister of Foreign Affairs for Vanuatu, dealing with issues of climate change, among other issues. And they asked to see me. And so I made an appointment. I made an appointment and we we met up. And uh, this group of students came in to my office and basically presented this idea. I thought it was a very innovative and interesting idea. And I'd in fact heard about this, this notion that the ICJ should look at the issue of climate change. But here were these students presenting it quite tangibly and earnestly. And uh, as a result of that meeting, I agreed that Vanuatu would see if we could get this to happen. And uh, as foreign minister, I then got the government to agree that we would raise it at the level of the Pacific Islands Forum. And the Pacific Islands Forum is like the regional block of the Pacific Island states. It's similar to the EU for the European states. So the Pacific Islands Forum is the peak regional political body representing all the states. And so every year they have a annual leaders meeting, which is preceded by the forum foreign ministers meeting. 
And so I made sure that the agenda of requesting an advisory opinion from the ICJ was on the agenda for the senior officials meeting before the foreign ministers met. And then when we met as foreign ministers, I made that intervention and the foreign ministers agreed that it was something that the leaders should consider. And it was then taken up to the leaders meeting, which happened a few days later. At that meeting, I remember it was at, in Tuvalu, which is one of the most vulnerable countries to climate change in the world, being an atoll where the land is not more than one meter above the ground at any place. So it's one of these states that is going to disappear if sea level rise continues at the rate it continues at. At that leaders summit, I remember there was a lot of states in support, but there were some states who were a bit hesitant. And so the communique that came out of the leaders summit in Tuvalu noted that Vanuatu intended to pursue this initiative. And that's where it started. And then obviously COVID intervened, but we managed to get the diplomatic ball rolling to where we are now. And so the objective is basically to get a legal opinion at the highest level, which has the greatest weight in terms of precedent on what the obligations of states are under international law to account for emissions that they produce, their legal obligations under the Paris Agreement, which all states, almost all states, signed, which agreed to a pathway to reduce emissions to reach a target of 1.5 degrees Celsius at the most above pre-industrial levels. And that agreement, which states also signed up to, to commit funds from developed countries to assist developing countries to meet their adaptation needs in terms of this low emissions development pathway. So that is what the initiative is about, is to try and seek the highest legal opinion and precedent with the hope that it can assist the international community to move faster to what the objectives of the UNFCCC Paris Agreement process are. Thank you very much. Where is the process at now and what are the key next steps? So where we are now with the initiative is that the legal team earlier last year, 2022, had done the legal research. We were fortunate to be able to use some of the best lawyers in this field around the world. And they'd come up with the text of the question we wanted the ICJ to consider. Then we started the diplomatic effort. Vanuatu formed a core group of 18 countries, including Vanuatu, at the United Nations in New York to assist us in taking this question, this draft question, and basically getting states to buy in to support it, to support the idea that this is the question that should be asked of the ICJ because in the end, the uh, most contentious issue was going to, always going to be what the question was. And so this core group started convening around this time, March in 2022, in New York, and basically did further consultations with states. The 18 member states represented all different regions of the world they consulted within their regions to try and come up with a version of that draft that the lawyers came up with that would be diplomatically acceptable to the majority of states. And that work continued until the end of last year. At this stage, it was, it was then raised with 
the United Nations General Assembly president to say, okay, now we want to bring it to the floor of the General Assembly. We believe that this is a question that will get the support of a resolution at the UNGA because there's only two ways to get an advisory opinion from the ICJ, and one is you need a majority of vote in the UN General Assembly. By February, we had finalised the question, the draft of the question, and it was released to all the member states to look at. It did take, at the last minute, a lot of diplomatic wrangling to try and make sure that we didn't have anyone too opposed to it. And we were very fortunate that that wrangling worked and we we did not have anyone too opposed to it. That was uh, a great diplomatic achievement. The 1st of March was the date at which the resolution would be tabled in the process of the UNGA. That was when it was tabled. And so by the 1st of March, we needed states to co-sponsor. And so the final weeks in February were when the question was already out there. It was agreed upon, the final text, and we were simply asking states, will you co-sponsor this resolution with Vanuatu and with the 17 other core group members? By the 1st of March, we had achieved 105 states co-sponsoring the resolution, and that is already a majority of uh, UN member states. And now when I'm speaking to you, which is about halfway through March, we have already secured the support of another 20 or 30 or so. And so the vote is scheduled, or this this resolution will be tabled on the floor of the UNGA for consideration on the 29th of March. We already have a clear majority of states in support, so we very much hope that no states will object so that the resolution can be adopted by consensus, which is the strongest form of resolution that comes out of the General Assembly. And that is what we're working on now. We, we know that if, if it comes to a vote, it will go through, but the ultimate objective is to get a consensus resolution. And so we are now in the final two weeks before the resolution is tabled and voted on or agreed upon by consensus. And if the resolution is adopted by the UN General Assembly and the ICJ does eventually deliver the advisory opinion, how do you envision it would be used? You have touched upon this already a little bit, but it would be interesting if you could elaborate. It will clarify, obviously, the legal obligations that states have signed up to in the Paris Agreement, in uh, the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, in the UN Charter, and in various international agreements that states have agreed to. It will provide further clarity as to what states actually have agreed to when it comes to the impacts of climate change on their citizens, on the citizens of the world, on future generations. So that legal clarity will assist, we think, in the COP negotiations, the UNFCCC negotiations that happen continuously with an annual COP, right? Sometimes those negotiations have been quite fraught. I was at the last COP in Egypt. It was very contentious. There was a lot of polarized views. We believe that an ICJ advisory opinion will assist to make it easier to talk and agree, hopefully because uh, things will be clearer from a perspective of what the actual text that countries have agreed to means. Obviously, the ICJ advisory opinion has weight as a precedent or a persuasive argument that can be used at all levels of courts in all jurisdictions of the world. So any court would be able to, at any level, 
in pretty much any country would be able to refer to the ICJ advisory opinion when cases concerning states' obligations when it comes to the effects of climate change are raised in any case. Also, at some future point, anyone could use this advisory opinion to pressure states to take certain actions that were more conducive to reducing emissions, to speeding up the transition to a net zero emissions pathway. Also, the advisory opinion can be used by any any organisation to assist in getting policies developed and at the level of states to assist the development of legislation to provide direction for what sort of policies and legislation states and other non-state actors can adopt uh, moving forward on the issue of climate change and particularly what states are obliged to do. So hopefully an advisory opinion will then set a pathway for states from the time the advisory opinion is issued onwards to have domestic legislation that aligns with what the advisory opinion says. So there's some of the ways in which we believe that the advisory opinion will be useful. Picking up a bit of what you said about the COP process and how it might be of assistance there, do you envision, for example, that it would put pressure on states to submit more ambitious nationally determined contributions? We hope so. We very much hope so. We hope that the advisory opinion will be that extra additional pressure that will push states even further down that track. I mean, countries in the Pacific, we've been applying this pressure for for years. We are always at the, uh, the furthest most point of trying to seek the highest ambition on reduction of emissions. And so this will be an additional support to what we've already been saying. And also it'll be a support that comes from the ICJ, which is, you know, a very high legal uh, opinion. You mentioned that more than 100 states are now co-sponsoring this resolution. When you speak to governments that don't back the initiative, what do they say? What are their concerns? And which governments are we talking about? Right from the beginning, the US was against this resolution, which isn't surprising, considering they're, they're one of the only countries that didn't sign the Paris Agreement initially. We were hoping that uh, with the change in administration with Biden, there would be a change, but uh, it hasn't reflected in the diplomacy we've been engaged in. China's also similar. It won't support, but we're hoping with both China and the US that they won't object. We've had key European countries in the core group like Germany, Romania, Liechtenstein, Portugal. Countries like Germany have been some of the most reticent, I can, I can probably say. And it's all to do with they're concerned about the uh, liability implications of an advisory opinion like this. And that's kind of a pretty obvious perspective that we, you can see, right? They're worried that this is a court that will give an opinion saying they need to do more on climate change, it could mean they could incur additional liability if they don't take this action after the advisory opinion is issued. And that is, of course, their concern. And it's mainly a concern about uh, financial liability. We very much try not to highlight that aspect of it. We, we try to talk about it, obviously, as something which, as I've mentioned in my previous uh, comments, something that can assist the international community to come to higher ambition. 
But of course, there is that element that they're, that they are worried about, and that is probably the key thing that states refer to when they say they are not in support of the resolution. We are unfortunately running out of time. Minister, is there anything you would like to say before we end this interview that you feel is important, but that we have not already addressed? I think it's important to note that this initiative came from the young people and that there is now a global youth movement around this request to the ICJ. And we're doing this for the future generations, right? This is going to be something that will assist in uh, their futures. Also to note that once uh, the vote goes through in the United Nations General Assembly on the 29th of March and the question is referred to the ICJ, then we begin a long process. We imagine up to two years, uh, hopefully not more than that, of submissions being made to the court to help in its consideration of the question, to assist it to make its determination. This is going to be a probably more intensive period of this initiative is actually coordinating submissions talking to states, non-government actors, individuals to make submissions, marshalling evidence, putting as much as possible before the court in terms of arguments to persuade it to make a, the strongest possible decision in favour of moving towards a low emissions uh, development pathway for the world. So as soon as the vote is over, then a whole other level of work begins. But that'll be more in terms of submissions by states and anyone to the court. We are hearing that the youth are going to be well, well in attendance at court hearings and so on. So it's going to be quite an exciting period for the next year to two years when the court is making its deliberations and then when it releases the final decision, of course. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you, Anna. Thanks so much for the interview as well. Thanks so much for listening. The Climate Briefing will be back soon with another episode which will focus on the US Inflation Reduction Act and the response from other countries around the world. In the meantime, please feel free to check out previous episodes which can be found on the Chatham House website, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all other major podcast outlets. Bye!